Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories, all before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of the Tomato Timer, where I have um, a guest I'd have to say that I just invited because we just had awesome conversations and I think there's a lot to learn from her. Uh, Nikita is a strategy analyst at LinkedIn. She's also uh, a global shaper at the World Economic Forum and the co-founder of Unbox, a platform on a mission to help young people thrive in the passion economy. And to kick us off, um, you must have to, you will have to tell me about what the passion economy is, Nikita. Yeah, first of all, just want to say thank you so much, Zabar. I can attest that our conversations so far have been great. So yeah, super excited to be here and chat a bit more about the passion economy. Yeah, I think the first thing to say is that it is becoming a massive buzzword, at least in Silicon Valley. But I think that sometimes the meaning gets a bit lost. And it's often a term that still like a lot of people don't know the meaning of. So I think it's a great place to start. And the way that I would kind of I guess tell the story of what the passion economy is, is to kind of take us back in time a bit. And um, probably around like the late 2000s, when we were hearing a lot about Uber, we were hearing a lot about Airbnb. And it was kind of the time when all of these platforms were in their infancy. Um, And this is kind of what came to be known as the gig economy. And essentially, like just to give people a reminder of what the gig economy refers to, it's this idea that basically platforms like Uber and Deliveroo and Airbnb radically simplified the relationship between supply and demand of particular services. So that could be food delivery or obviously like finding a place to stay when you're on holiday. And as a result, people, anyone could kind of monetize their time by doing a particular skill. So whether that be driving a cab or renting out their place or delivering food. But at the same time, a byproduct of that was that skills became very homogenized in the gig economy. And I kind of like to talk about the passion economy in contrast to that um, by saying that actually, whilst the gig economy was about monetizing time, the passion economy is more about monetizing individuality. So um, what I would kind of describe it as is it's a way for individuals to build an audience around and monetize content around a particular skill or passion or talent they have. So for example, Zabair, for anyone who didn't know, I recently found out he used to be a figure skater or still is perhaps. Um, And so one thing that Zabair might do in the passion economy is to, this might be a bit difficult with the nature of the sport, but Mm -hmm. is to maybe like record some um, beginner videos about how to figure skate and some of the technique behind it and basically sell those to the Z Notes audience, for example. And essentially, that's the idea of the passion economy. And we're seeing a lot of startups pop up in the space, everything from Substack to um, Patreon. And mm. yeah, that's kind of how I would summarize it. That's awesome. It's, I, I love the kind of, uh, obviously, the example is great. Um, but the, the fact that we're kind of celebrating individuality and, and more specifically, we're kind of looking at what everyone is, feels great about doing and finding a way for them to essentially earn earning for it, right? Um, it's, tell me how you came exposed to this. Like, it's a very kind of, it's a it's a very specific kind of idea, and it led you to build your own startup on this. So, how did you even get exposed to this this concept? Yeah, honestly, it was nothing to do with the original startup that we were building. To be completely honest, it's a concept that I only came across. Um, a couple of months ago, honestly. Um, But I think it goes back a little bit further than that in terms of this idea of 
doing something and building a career around your passions and what you care about, as opposed to what you feel pressure, whether that's familial or social or kind of institutional pressure to pursue. Um, so for example, I remember a time like when I was, I think in my final year at university, I say that like it was many decades ago. It was only last year. Anyway, so a time last year when I was in my um, last year at university, I was in the process of applying to a bunch of grad jobs in consulting, in the tech world. And honestly, I was feeling pretty deflated. So one day I was just like, you know what, I need a break. And so I, I was quite lucky. I went to university pretty close to, to where my family lives. So I was just said to myself, I'm going to go home for a couple of days, spend some time with my family, just, you know, get some perspective on life again. So I'm not just stuck in this tunnel vision. Yeah. And when I got to the station in my like hometown, my sister picked me up from the um, station and drove me home. And on the way, I mean, I think she could tell that I was pretty deflated. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, you know, like, what's up? She knew I was going through all these applications. And I basically told her, you know, I've just had a bunch of rejections through. But honestly, like, it's, it's really made me feel deflated, but not because I was rejected, because more because I feel like I'm pursuing something that I don't actually care about. And I don't know why. And she was like, okay. <laughs> first of all, just take a step back. Like, first of all, these rejections are not the end of the world. But she said something to me that honestly has stuck with me to this day, which is as soon as you realize that you don't have to follow the trodden path, you feel so incredibly liberated. Mm. And even though that doesn't seem like a massive thing to say, um, and maybe it wouldn't have been coming from anyone else, but because it was coming from my sister, it's really stuck with me because she is a couple of years older than me. She's in the creative industry as opposed to tech. So we've taken quite different paths. But um, she is someone who's essentially built what we call a port she's built what we call a portfolio career. Mm. And what I mean by that is she is a graphic design freelancer. She teaches um, at, at different universities. She writes a lot. She edits. She does photography. And it's this idea that you can actually curate and build a career around your unique passions as opposed to taking one path and I guess pursuing a more linear route. Mm. So I want to reconnect back to us almost as, as students maybe going through um, our final years of school or even at um, in our first few years of university. So mm -hmm. this sounds awesome and I think there's no uh, there's no lack of people talking about you know pursuing your passion. We've been kind of told yeah. that a very young age so let's talk about the practicality of it and and I'm, i want to connect to kind of your role as well so you're actually working and you have a startup and you're you you feel like you're kind of connecting with your passions in doing the different things that you do so how, how let's talk about yeah just tell me how can be practical to pursue your passion yeah Zabar, i think that's such a great question and one thing i want to caveat in this whole discussion is that i think the term passion economy even though it might not seem like it is actually quite problematic, mm. semantically more than anything else. Um, because I think it encourages, if everyone's talking about the passion economy and like pursue what you love and all this stuff, it's great. Of course, we'd all love to do that. Mm. But ultimately, like it is coming from a position of privilege to say that it's always one possible and two easy to pursue what you're passionate about. Um, at the end of the day, what the majority of us need to do is make a sustainable living right yeah. and I think that that often doesn't go in hand with pursuing your passion and that's okay too so I think that like 
we need to kind of try and dispel this pressure that exists around pursuing what you're passionate about and more recraft the narrative to give young people a bit of like hope for the future because I think that it's a very difficult time to be in university and to even be in school right now with so much uncertainty. Um, but actually, I think that it, there's also a lot of opportunity right now because we're seeing so much democratization through the internet and through these different platforms that let you build and create. I think that young people are being incredibly enterprising. And, you know, even friends of mine have um, leveraged the period over the past year to actually, um, you know, whether it's monetized passions or hobbies or to kind of create something new or just do something new, but not monetize it, which is okay too, by the way. I think we forget that sometimes. Like yeah. it's okay to have hobbies that aren't part of your professional life. Um, and I think to answer your question about practicalities, it's about just, I think it's a great question. Honestly, I think it's about having conversations, um, conversations like this. I think that often we have a bias to action and that's the kind of mentality that's drilled into us by the internet and social media that we always need to be achieving and having X amount of success and then showing it to the world. And yeah, I mean, okay, that's fine and great. But ultimately for the majority of people, when you're in school and when you're in university, you're just trying to figure stuff out. I know I have no clue what I was doing. I still have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and honestly, I just wanted to have interesting conversations with interesting people about a lot of different topics and I would just really encourage young people to, to do that, to figure out what you're interested in. And if it's not one thing, embrace that. Like, that's the beauty of, like, again, coming back to the internet, I know it seems really high level, but that's the beauty of it, right? Because it allows you to explore different interests and things you might want to pursue without kind of restraining you to one path. I don't know. Do you, I'm, I'm curious as well, Zabet, like, do you think the same thing or do you think there's like a more practical way to go about it well you know the conversation is, is powerful because it's not just about the one person you speak to right i i almost like um would describe it as, as the energy you're putting out for a certain I love that. passion or, or 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 just a pursuit um and i kind of kind of connecting with my personal story of you know working on xenotes and then turning it into a startup and then um, ending up after my degree to continue developing it, doing other stuff as well. It's, it sounds like a very kind of like a, you know, it sounds like I've, I had it very, very well planned out, but even, at, even in my final years of school, I, I didn't even know what I was going to do in my degree. As I went through my uni degree, I was, I wasn't sure if I could complete my math degree. Once I finished it, I wasn't sure where I was going. Um, how will I make a sustainable living? How can I continue to, um, you know, um, not rely on my parents while still developing a platform, which I think is powerful. Mm -hmm. So um, the one kind of thread which kind of helps helps me almost grounded to this kind of the story mm -hmm. are the people that have been involved. And yeah. it's conversation is part of it. I would also like kind of highlight like people like mentors, support systems which exist around you. Um, and a lot of the things that I've ended up doing have happened because of these kind of support systems that I have put into place, whether yeah. it's emotional support, whether it's academic or technical support, um, all of these things have, have led me to be where I am today. Um, so it's, it's a very kind of, there's a nuance to what you're, what you're saying. A conversation seems very, um, you know, as you said, inactive, it doesn't sound like a very actionable thing, but what mm -hmm. you're doing by speaking about certain ideas and concepts and 
um, and discussing with people in different parts of the industry. It doesn't have to be, you know, specific yeah. in a vertical at all as well. Um, kind of, we, we've talked a lot about interdisciplinary kind of thoughts and the kind of amalgamation of different ideas coming because of the different perspectives we all have. Um, mm -hmm. As we kind of discuss these ideas, somehow something clicks and our brains are incredibly cool. We don't know how they work even now. <laughs> But <laughs> if you do say so yourself <laughs> and, and you end up like um, some opportunity just turns up and you think it's um, it's happened because of, you know, luck. Um, I, I like to go back to a couple episodes before when we have uh, Dr. Christian on who talks about serendipity and he it's a really powerful uh, concept again, because he says that doing these making yourself more lucky serendipitous. Um, by having the right conversations and by continuously thinking about certain things. I'm going off on a tangent. I want to come no, back I love to that. The, the portfolio uh, career because that's really, really cool. Um, and I think there's an element of practicality to it as well. So um, you mentioned your sister's example. Could you like kind of expand a little bit more on what, what it means and how we can start to build it essentially? Yeah, for sure. Um, just a super quick comment on your previous um, statement. I think that I really love what you said about conversations are the energy that you put out there. And just to add to that, I think one other kind of way of doing that is not just by conversing with people, but it's also by writing. Um, I feel like it's it's sort of a lot lost art that's coming back. And I think it's such a great way to get your thoughts out there, get your energy out there, but also structure your thoughts and figure out where you stand on particular issues and then be able to kind of converse with people who have different ideas and debate about them. So just wanted to, to say that as well, but no, really like that point. Yeah, in terms of, I guess, practically building a portfolio career. Now, I can't, I, I'm in the very early stages of my career, so I don't want to kind of, um, I don't want anyone to to take this as gospel or anything because I think the beauty of a portfolio career is kind of that you're always figuring it out, you know. Um, there's very little that you can plan when you're building a portfolio career by virtue of what it is. So to go back to my sister's example, she graduated from art school, um, it must have been in 2018 or 2017, um, and she left knowing that she wanted to freelance, essentially. She didn't want to get you know, uh, a normal job as it were. So she did that and it started out as her essentially trying to build up a small client base um, and doing projects for them that she could deliver on. Now, obviously she didn't have that much credibility to her name. She was making a name for herself at the same time as actually trying to deliver work of a great standard. But as she kind of built her network and as she did more projects, more opportunities started knocking on her door. And relating back to what you said about, about serendipity, it's very much, I, I think of serendipity as, you know, it's the energy you put out there coming back to you. That's probably a very inarticulate way of saying what you guys were talking about on the, the previous episode. But I think that it's true, you know, like if you are speaking about things, if you're meeting new people, if you're writing about certain ideas, then people are going to read about them. They're gonna listen to you on a podcast. And they're going to think, hmm, I'd love to have a conversation with that person. I think they're doing really cool work. And that's how you start to build the sort of network of people who will be attracted to the work you do and who you can collaborate with and potentially do work for. So I don't think there's, unfortunately, one particular answer to this question, how do you build a portfolio career? Because it's also very industry and skill dependent. You know, my sister's in the creative industry. I'm in tech and the startup world. So it's a very different thing. But 
I also think a big piece of advice is actually what you said earlier is about as well. It's like, get people on your side. And that doesn't necessarily mean in terms of a formal mentor, that could be an informal sponsor, um, friends who are a couple of years ahead of you, um, whatever it might be, because ultimately these are the people who are going to help us um, pursue that path. Yeah. I want to um, talk a little bit like it's an amazing piece that you kind of just like rounded off very, very kind of um, poignant. Um, I want to talk about your role currently at LinkedIn because we've had uh, a number of guests over the over the almost two years now talk about the importance of sharing and building a portfolio and profile on LinkedIn or, or other mm. kind of, or other kind of systems where people can discover you essentially. And obviously you're, you're within the organization. Um, just tell me what, what, what you're working on right now. Yeah. Um, so actually my role at LinkedIn is, it's kind of also what got me interested in this whole portfolio career business, because what I'm doing at LinkedIn is I'm actually on a graduate scheme called strategy and analytics. And essentially it comprises of four, six month rotations across different teams and functions within the business. And now, to people outside of LinkedIn, uh, this is often something that's not known or forgotten, but we actually have a bunch of different lines of business within LinkedIn. Um, it's not just the kind of consumer facing yeah. uh, app that we see. So I currently work in LinkedIn learning, which is super interesting to me because as you know, I'm really interested in ed tech and the future of work and skills and things like that. And so um, that's kind of a lot of the work I'm doing right now. Like what does the future of work look like? What skills are going to be most critical to help young people as well as people currently in the workforce to kind of thrive um, and sharing those insights basically. And I think that it's, it's a super interesting piece of work and kind of place to be in now post COVID, right? Because we're seeing like a lot of priorities shift from the company side, but also in terms of what higher education institutions are thinking about how they're thinking about, you know, the shift to remote, how they're thinking about digital transformation and building digital skills. So it's a really interesting time to be thinking about this area. And I think like COVID has just thrown into sharp focus trends that we were seeing before, but they're now just being like radically accelerated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I don't want to kind of regurgitate those kind of points about like building your portfolio and profile and, and writing stuff. But um, there is what kind of what are the kind of the insider tricks that you've picked up um, while in your role about how best to leverage your LinkedIn portfolio? Honestly, I think my number one piece of advice to, to people in school and university is just use the platform. I think that it's one of the most under leveraged social media platforms um, out there. And honestly, it's the perfect way to start figuring out what you want to do, who you want to speak to, um, I guess, like what you want to be known for, like within yourself and externally. Mm -hmm. And so I just say, you know, to be honest, like most of what I've learned has come from just posting on LinkedIn and creating content myself. Yeah. And I would say that actually, like the organic reach on LinkedIn is great. And if you just start creating content that is often like very intimidating. So what I would recommend people start with is just engaging with other people, you know, follow people that you think are really cool in the space that you're interested in, comment on their posts, you know, offer an opinion, tag your friends in it, start conversations, and then gradually you'll build the confidence to actually start creating content of your own. I think one barrier that a lot of young people face when it comes to platforms like LinkedIn is, they don't want to give off the wrong impression to future employers, right? Yeah. And they also don't think they know anything. At least I have often felt, I don't know anything. I don't have anything to offer. Why should I create content? 
And I just want to say like, it's really not about the content you create. It's about who you are, like when you're creating it. And I think that everyone has such a unique story and unique perspective. Don't ever underestimate how powerful that your like perspective and narrative can be. Mm. You know, I, I love this because it's echoing um, our previous episode where we had um, Justin talking about how to land an internship or how to mm -hmm. know what to in interviews. And essentially, he talks about how, you know, at the end of the day, loads of us are coming in with the same kind of GPAs or grades. And 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 I guess th th there's so much homogeneity in, in the things that we're doing these days yeah. that everything we need to do now is kind of show up what's different about us. Um, yeah. And I'll be honest, I didn't figure out, like, even with my LinkedIn usage, it's been very sporadic, but uh, much more intensely than, than others. And the benefit I've found is, is really being myself on the system. And yeah. it's, it's intimidating, you're absolutely right. Um, but I, I share a lot and I share a lot of very, a combination of, you know, very ed tech, Xenos mm -hmm. related stuff, you know, oh, this is what I'm working on. This is where I'm speaking. This is how I'm um, engaging with different people. And then sometimes I just talk about, you know, I'm out for a run today. I went for uh, this. I did this this day. Um, and it's a combination. The humanization is it's so critical. Yeah. Because that's what you want to do, right? When you um, when your uh, potential recruiter looks at you, they, they don't want to see a standard um, profile, which they can kind of like dig up and see replicas of across the Internet. They want to see someone who's a real human with interests and passions. Exactly. When passion comes again and again um, and kind of uh forms this kind of character which is which is full of life and energy and color um i i want to go to another point because uh i know there's like not a lot of time but because it's, i think it's really cool because you studied linguistics at university at oxford and you've ended up in this kind of startup slash tech world um mm. it does not seem very kind of like connected at all so just like kind yeah. of a couple of words on how you how that happened all that all about that interdisciplinarity isn't it Ziba? um yeah first of all i think this is way more common than we think it is like the number of people doing going into careers or paths that aren't connected with their degree is massively increasing yeah. um so i'd say it's yeah it's not that uncommon but also how it happened um is because i was really lucky to get quite a lot of experience in the startup and tech space when i was still at university and through those experiences, I was able to figure out, okay, what actually do I care about? What motivates me to get out of bed in the morning? And even though I love linguistics, I mean, it wasn't that. Um, you know, I, I knew that that wasn't a route I wanted to pursue in terms of academia or education or anything. But I knew that, okay, I want to figure out how I can connect the dots between linguistics and the startup space and education and the future of work. Even though to most people, those things sound completely unrelated that's where magic happens right that's how innovation happens and that's what fascinated me so that's why like maybe finish by saying you know to anyone who's like currently in university or even in school just to go back to circle do a full circle um sure. i would really say just embrace all of the different things you're interested in and if someone tells you to like stop doing art or concentrate on academics don't listen to them because um, ultimately your secret source is going to be the unique mix of things that you care about and are interested in. So yeah, that's ultimately how you're going to build a career that you care about. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. That's, 
that's amazing and you've like really really nailed the timing as well we just have like <laughs> less than a minute to go um thank you so much Nikita it was like so so much fun speaking um and kind of trying to bring some of our earlier conversations into a into a more product productized way so that others yeah. can as well yeah definitely thank you so much for having me really enjoyed it as always absolutely um and to our listeners um you can always connect with Xenos um uh, through our different social media channels and Join us next week on our next episode where we are getting someone in the world of sustainability um, with thousands of volunteers leading his organization. So it should be cool. Um, but that's all. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's another episode of the Tomato Timer. If you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week, join the Xenos Discord server. The invite link is in the description. And to learn more about Xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all, go to xenos.org. Bye for now.